the Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Lucy Chamberlain is my special guest and we're taking your calls on everything from figs, frogs and herbs. Lucy's got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden, plus plant of the week. We go straight to your calls now and we start with Phyllis in Wivenhoe. You know, you shouldn't talk about them, Phyllis, because you make us both very, very envious if you've got figs that you're eating at the moment. Are you eating them yet, Phyllis? Sorry? Are you eating your figs yet? No, because um, this is only the second year. Last year I had one fig and it fell off. I had no idea what to do with them and I don't know when they're ready um, to be picked because I've got a really good crop. I've got about 30 on the tree today. You've got 30 on the tree, yeah. Yep. Well, when do I? When are they ready to be picked? When are they ready to be picked? When they're ready. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I've been a bit cheeky and facetious there. But, there you are. Yes. But actually, <laughs> actually, um, a fig at the moment, and in fact, it's funny because I, I was brought a few figs home from a garden, and in fact, um, oh, whoop, we're whistling a bit there. I don't know what's going on there, but anyway, yes. Um, and you were talking, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about figs? We and they're, they're yep. softening, but yes. they're not ready, are they? They're no. frustratingly not there, are they? We've got three um, fan train figs at the hall, mm. at Donaldland Hall, and uh, I was peeping into the branches literally yesterday to see whether they're ready yet, because they will be ripening August going into September. And um, what you have to check for, Phyllis, is when the fruits start to hang downwards. That's right. a sign that they're almost ready. In fact, nearly drooping. Yeah, so when you yeah. need to pick a, pick a fig when it's almost to the point of being rotten. Not quite rotten, but like as, as ripe as it absolutely can be. And then you get the maximum amount of sugar and flavour and aromas, and they are delicious. But you need to wait for the fruit to, as I say, hang downwards. And then also what ap- often happens is the skin starts to just crack vertical track uh, cracks up the length of the fruit can sometimes occur and often you get a little bit of oozing from the base what we call the eye of the right, as so well. and the at that point they're ready yeah um, what color are they when they're ready they'll turn from green to a sort of greeny brown but they don't yeah depends most... on the variety if it's brown yeah. turkey which is the standard one then like ken says they tend to greeny go brown, like a it? greeny brown color and okay. uh, yeah, yeah, Lovely. and uh, you'll yep. soon get your eye in. Once you start eating them, you'll soon work out exactly what to look for. Yes, thank you very much. That's, That's a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much indeed. And uh, let's. Um... Uh, we don't know. We've got a whistle in the studio. We've got a whistle in the studio, which we... I don't quite know what's going on there. Let's go to John in Holland on Sea. Hello, John. Where's John? John's gone. Don't know where John is. We'll go to Joyce in Harlow. Hello, Joyce. Good morning. Hi there, Joyce. Hello. I've got a plum tree, which is a jewel, a plum and an apricot. I'm picking the plums, but inside the plums there's a little bug. What can I do to stop it? This is the first year it's ever happened. Sorry, you've got what? A plum? Uh, like a little little bug. A little, um, like, it's like a caterpillar in a way. But right inside, they look, they're right, but once you cut them, they're, they're in with pip. So... Joyce, what you've got there is something called um, plum moth, I think. Sounds so like, like it, a little, um, a little caterpillar that's almost like an orangey-pink colour yes, in the centre right, of the yes. fruit. Yes, yeah. So once you see plum moth like that, sadly there's nothing that you can do now to control it for this season. No, but I didn't you, think that. But you can be ready for next year. So what you can do, Joyce, is actually you can, um, in May time, when the um, adult female moths are flying around and looking for a male to mate with what you can do is hang in your tree something called a pheromone trap and essentially what that is is a trap that emits a smell that smells like a female so the male comes over to the trap thinking he's going to mate with her and instead what happens is he gets stuck on the trap and dies it's a sticky trap and you have to hang a few of those in your tree depending on the size of the tree um, that will tell you how many traps you need to hang in the tree. Uh, where would I get that from? Any good uh, garden centre. Good garden centres now are tapping into so these. Pheromone traps. Yes. Get, it's not, my I mean, tree's not that big. But Great. It's got quite a lot of plums in. I mean, 
but it's not very nice when you get these little pink no. Little maggots. There's nothing worse, is there? There's nothing no. worse. I did have one person to say that they actually preferred the taste of uh, the fruits because they got the maggot inside them. And I thought, <laughs> that's taken it no. too far. No, no, no. We won't go for no. that. No. So, in, like I say, it's, it's going to get the timing right, Joyce. It's got to be in, in May when the moths are mating. Yes. And then that's the time to catch them, not when it's a little bit later in the season. It's got to be that early in, early in the spring. Yeah, what? What, what happens? Because I've had a couple that have gone mouldy. Have that been the same... Just have it, it. It could be that, or what? What? When you say mouldy, what are they doing? Do they get well, brat? Actually, turning mould. It sort of looks like the mould on the on the skin of them. Yeah, but what does the skin look like? Does it go brown um, with stipules on it? Yes. Yeah. So that would be brown rot. Brown rot, which yeah. is a really, really common um, fungus for a lot of fruits. So cherries, peaches, apples, pears, plums. They all, all get. get they can all get it. Um, it's caused by um, a wound to the skin. And then the fungus right. enters through the through that wound into the into the fruit. And you've got to bear in mind the fruits are just a massive big um, pile of sugary liquid at this point. Yeah. So a rot once it gets in there will spread really really quickly. Yeah. So it's most likely that the plum moth um, actually, as the the, the the grubs were tunneling into the fruits, they made a little piercing in the skin, and that's what allowed the brown rot to spread. And brown rot is more prevalent in wet years. We've had it's not been a, a soggy year, but we have had a few deluges, which has allowed yeah. rots to set to set in. What you need to do with that, Joyce, is when the to pe- take all those fruits off that are rotten and dispose of them. Doing. Great, perfect, perfect. Get rid of them. Don't leave them in the garden. Don't put them on a compost. Exactly. Yeah. All right, put them in a bin. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yes, that's it. the one. Offside. Right, thank you very much. <laughs> that's a all pleasure. Right. Our pleasure. Bye bye. Well, that's someone who's doing the job properly. Yes, good to hear, isn't it? And let's now go to Frank from Stoke. Is that right, Frank? That's right. Yes, that's right. What are we talking about today? You're up in Staffordshire, is that right? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, it's a bird of paradise that I've got. Oh, lovely, Frank. Very nice. I'm envious of now, you. It's taken 10 years to grow. And uh, last year, no, sorry, the year before it flowered uh, with four heads on it. Mm. This year, there's only two, but I think it's getting a bit pot-bound. Yeah. Yes, and I'm wondering, can. can I split it? Well, the trouble is with Strelitzia, they like being pot-bound, don't they? That's yeah, they the, do to that's a degree, the don't they? Yeah, if they're, if they're too is congested, then I guess it will be harmful to it. And it sounds like the flowering is diminishing a little bit. Yeah. But, but maybe, pot, could you pot it up, Frank, rather than splitting it? So you're not disturbing the main plant itself? Uh, I did it once where I took the whole lot out of the pot and there was like a big coil root inside. That's right. Yeah. And I cut that root off and repotted it, and it did survive. What you could, How big's the pot that you've got it in? It's about two foot across. To go bigger, it's going to yeah. be... I can see the problem with... Could you, go, could you go for a slightly bigger pot, Frank, one that's about maybe two and a half foot, or is that not practical for you? No, that's fine, yeah. yeah. That's I what know, I'd honestly, do. You might get a better display, won't you? Yeah, because mm-hmm. if you split the plant up, Frank, what you're going to do is disturb it, and the disturbance might set back flowering for another year or so. But if you're literally just keeping the clump whole but putting it into a bigger container, that's, a, that's brilliant for it. It gives it more root space, um, so it's not too congested, but it's not been disturbed, and it should then flower for you brilliantly. And I'm, I would expect at least six flower spikes next year. Yep. Ken, what do you want to bid? Oh, no, six or seven, yeah. yeah. You get a good amount. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And what, what what's the um, ideal watering for it? You know, do you have to keep them well watered, or I think with any, they haven't got any. They don't need to be bone dry like a cactus, and they don't no. need to be soggy like a, um, a bog plant. As long moist. as they're yeah, relatively moist, but but not waterlogged or bone dry. Yeah, we normally give it about two pints a week. S- stick to what you're doing, yeah, because what exactly. you're doing, if it's growing well, uh, Frank you're doing the right thing and that's the important thing with plants never change just because we say oh no you're giving it a little bit too much because then you can damage the plant yeah yeah i mean it's two ten years to grow i don't want to lose it now nope. i mean the, no. the foliage no. absolutely brilliant it fills the whole bay of the window yep. lovely lovely Fantastic. well that shows that it's in rude health and you're doing all the right stuff frank can i ask you how do you listen to us there in staffordshire um a friend of mine told me about you, uh, who lives in Ipswich, uh-huh. uh, and I logged on to, to you online, 
Brilliant. Thanks. I just wanted to, I just was intrigued, Frank. And it's very nice for you to join us. And I hope you'll join us every week at 11 o'clock, if not longer. OK? I hope so. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> It's time for Plant of the Week. Now, I'm just going to go on and on and on about buddleias because they're all in flower at the moment, yes? And, OK, traditionally, buddleias grew about six to eight foot high and people would say, oh, they're too big for my garden. No, they're not. Once they finish flowering, you cut them hard, hard back. And I mean hard back, down to something like... You can take them down to two foot from the ground. The new growth will then appear through the summer period and that's the wood that will start to form your bush for next year. Prune it, up it comes again and flowers on new growth. Now, buddleias are always thought to be large. There's some great new species around. Little dwarf ones that you don't even have to prune. They just keep on flowering. So go to your garden centre, look out for buddleias, because buddleias, they come in purples, reds, whites, pinks. Oh, the range of colour is fantastic. And what do the purple ones particularly do? They encourage the butterflies. And what do we want? Butterflies, butterflies and moths, of course, but we want to encourage wildlife into our garden, and that's what they will do. So they are, get out there, look at the buddleys that are available, and buy one that suits your garden. Angie from Chelmsford. What are we talking about, Angie? We're talking about frogs, but for my sister-in-law, who lives in Norfolk. Right. She's got a big greenhouse and loves her tomatoes and cucumbers, which are growing fine, but she keeps getting frogs going. They climb right to the top, and you can't get them back out until they're ready to come out because it's too high. Why would they do it if, um, you know, if it's, um, you know, there's no water in the vicinity? Would it be aphid? I'm just thinking. Do you know what, Angie, when you started talking, I thought, how are you going to weave frogs into this conversation when you're talking about the greenhouse yeah. with the tomatoes in and it? They go up the tomato I'm surprised plant. that they actually... So they climb actually up to the top of the plant? They, the, the, I don't know. She didn't tell me that. She just said they whiz up to the top of the greenhouse. <laughs> well, how unusual. I've never ever heard of that at all. But they say they're either after... Aphid or slug or... Would they eat aphid? I suppose they might, might oh, they? I don't know. They're so small, aren't they? Yeah. I think if I was a frog, I'd go for something a bit bigger. I right. think slugs or something. It must be slugs. Do you think your sister, is it a sister or sister-in-law, did you say? It's sister-in-law, not that it would matter, but yeah. No, but I wonder if she has um, snails in the greenhouse, because you know snails um, in the heat of the day, often they climb up to the top of, um, you often find them in, in yeah. pots and up the top of walls, and if frogs are eating slugs, they will eat snails as well, and that, that's the only thing I can think of that might that they might be after, I will let her know and um, try and tell her where to find us. I mean, we can get Norfolk, so she should be able to get you. Yes, yeah. Yes, we, she do you know what? I'd love to, we'd love to see a photograph of that, wouldn't we, Ken? Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. tell her that. Right, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. but she, she can well, listen online and via via the Sounds app as well, so there's no, plenty of ways. Got, she hasn't got that she either, why? She hasn't got that. Medium wave, 765, try that. All okay, right? Lovely. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much Bye, indeed. That's a nice one, isn't it, eh? They're a bit, it's a bit different. Let's go to uh, John in Holland on Sea. Hello, John. Good morning. Um, I've just started to grow herbs. Now, I wonder how to look after them. I mean, obviously, you can put things on them that's good for the herbs, but it might not be good for us. <laughs> right. Well, how have you bought the herbs? Did you buy them from a garden centre or...? Yes, yes. That's, I only ask that because people often ring us in that have bought herbs from supermarkets and then try and grow them on. And, of course, they're forced to produce the foliage that you would use in the kitchen from a culinary point of view, and they don't grow very well after. Um, but don't, don't tell the supermarkets I said that. Um, <laughs> right, so what sort of herbs have you got? And we can run through it with you. We've got the usual thyme, mint, sage, all that sort of thing. Okay, so the culinary leafy herbs, John, that you want to be yeah. using in the in the kitchen. So the the three that you've mentioned so far, uh, the thyme and the sage, especially, would love to be in full sun, and they like free draining soil. The mint um, again would like sun, but the the mint um, has a naughty tendency to run if you plant it in the ground. It can spread quite a lot. So the mint is better in a pot, and you could yeah, if you want to container. plant a, a pot. With about half a dozen in. Yeah. One is parsley. So is the mint um, in a in a pot within this container or is it now actually just in the container itself the root is in the pot 
Great. So it's still contained within a pot within the container. Right. Yeah. Perfect. That's lovely. Yeah. So and the parsley, um, the parsley would probably like a little bit more moisture than the thyme and the sage. So if there's a right. bit that's a bit more shady, the parsley would be happy in there. Um, any others that you've got there? Oh, no, I think that's about the lot. Yeah, lovely. Um, things like oregano, I find I use in cooking a lot as well. And also, if you want to buy another one, tarragon is lovely on chicken. That's a really nice herb to grow. You can get French tarragon. You can also get Russian, which is a bit coarser, but the French one has got a lovely, delicate, aniseedy flavour. And you could grow basil um, and dill from seed, which I do every year. They love the sun. Um, right. Dill is amazing with fish and basil, obviously fantastic for pesto and tomatoes. So um, the majority, as I say, do like the sun, but we mustn't. We've got to be so careful that we don't sort of blanket describe all herbs as sun loving. There are Mediterranean herbs, but there are lots of other herbs that do prefer uh, slightly moister, damper conditions. So just check the label when you purchase, John. Right, and I'll, um, when I walk through them, I'll obviously walk them all at the same time anyway, won't yes. I? So yeah. I'll, yeah. in one pot. Yeah, all the ones that you've got there are very going to be very happy kept, just moist, just ticking over. As I say, the parsley out of all of them and the mint might like it a little bit moister, but that's about it. Okay. okay. Now you don't feed them. I think they look after themselves in the soil. Well, you, do they? you could give them a bit of liquid feed off and on through the, the something like a seaweed-based feed, which yeah. is very organic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, dokie. Lovely. Thank Take, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. John. John in Holland on Sea, and we go to. Can't quite read it from Great Barfield, is it? Tomato plants we're talking? Is it Norbert or Norbert? That's right. Norbert. Sorry, I couldn't quite read. There's a line through my screen. I couldn't quite read it. Norbert, hello okay. there in Great Barfield. We're talking tomato plants. Is that right? We are. Norm. I mean, we've we've grown these for I don't know 20, 25 years, and my wife usually grows them from seeds. But this year, we didn't think we were going to do that, so she picked up some from one of the big do-it-yourself places mm-hmm. and one is a, a cherry tomato the leaves look bad looked bad as if they'd been sprayed with with um, herbicide somewhere down the line but we carried on with it but the other three plants they're plum i can go out and, and get the actual names off the tags they're still on Don't, there what's the problem though? notice that the, the leaves um the leaves at the lower level curl upwards and have peculiar colourings underneath and eventually I have to detach them and the plant just keeps growing taller and taller and the leaves at the top are okay the fruit seems to be okay and the bottom stems of the plants now are completely bald because I've had to remove these dying leaves all the way up the plant um, I've done a bit of do you know it's funny actually because I, I grew uh, I've seen a couple of tomato plants doing exactly the same that I got planted and uh, I planted them quite early on and I thought, I, I put it down to fluctuating temperatures because the bottom leaves did just what yours have done. And in fact, I've ended up with fruit, which is about a foot, at least over a foot from the ground, uh, as if that was the first place that the plant actually started to actually take off. Yeah. Do so you think that's a similar problem? I know when um, my, my parents used to grow tomatoes commercially and all the, the always, so they were in the greenhouse, but always the ones by the door, so the ones that got a chill, yeah. the lower leaves always curled up and they say that they actually, the edges curl yep, upwards. That's right. So yeah. Then that, they discolour and go yellow and That's a, remove class, a classic response of a tomato to cold temperatures. So it might be cold nighttime temperatures. Which or we had earlier on. Yeah, yeah. Or in a windy exposed position, maybe something like that. Um, well, when, when, we, you, uh, when we put these out... Mm. Um, obviously, I've, I've used a I've used a fairly heavy soil because the plants are quite big. I've used John Inns number three. I made sure that the, the soil is, is constantly moist because we had this was during the dry time when it was warm every evening. Yeah, and it looked as if they hadn't been watered. That was the symptoms. The leaves just looked as if the plant hadn't been watered. They weren't overwatered. They're properly drained. Yeah, yeah. Um, all three plants have got the same thing, and it was suggested to me there might have been some sort of a virus which was on the plants when we got them, because they looked like that when we actually bought them. But you're getting clean leaf now, aren't you? Only yeah, at the, the top. I've the had top to leaves. Only at the top. So are they deteriorating all the way up the plant as you go, yeah, as it goes? It's still, it's still ongoing. Oh, yeah. it's still ongoing. Sorry, I thought it was just that it had happened on the bottom end. Yeah. I say the curling, I say sometimes it, it can like be curled. a virus, does it? A virus um, of tomatoes, you would expect it to also be expressed in the very young leaves mm. as well. Um, and um, just we mentioned, I think, right at the beginning of the conversation, also weed killer damage, which tomatoes can be quite sensitive to. But again, that's very often expressed in the, the young shoot tips. And you so, wouldn't get it on ongoing, would you? No, no, exactly. So um, I wonder if it 
might be worth ruling those two out from from the symptoms that you're describing more but that you're saying that it's more the lower leaves that are causing um showing the symptoms um can, so these these tomato plants they're in joninus and so are they in containers or um whereabouts are they actually growing right they're they're in very big containers which i mm-hmm. brought the level up so that there's about nine inches of, of soil in the top which is where i planted them they, they're Great. well spaced yep um the other thing I've noticed is I didn't need the sticks. The stems are so robust, the thing is... Um, they're like triffids. Never had to, <laughs> they are. They're, they're, they're so tough that they just grow vertically without any support. They're not grafted and ones, they, are they? I don't know. They're just... Well, my wife just brought one of the labels here. Nimbus F1 Round, it says on this one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's obvi- they're obviously if they're growing strongly, they're obviously happy in the in the soil that you've given them. Um, what's the feeding regime that you've got then? Orbit? Are you giving them like the high potash weekly fertilizer, or what? What are you doing? Uh, I do that probably once every ten days. That's yeah, so right. Yeah, right. And you say that the, the the they're fruiting and the fruits are good size and the young growth is okay. Yeah. It is. We've just been away mm. for 10 days. My, my daughter's been watching them, and I looked out in, in the garden, and it looked as if it was end of season. More or less all the leaves have had it now. There are still oh. new shoots coming up. It's strange, isn't it? I can't... Mm. From what you're describing, I can't pinpoint can't, what it no. might be. So, um... In theory, in theory, if it's doing that, it's 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 a soil or root-based problem, Yeah, isn't like it? a nutrient deficiency yeah, or... Yeah, but it isn't, because you've put fresh John in his number... number Two or three or something? Two? Number three. Number, number three. Was it, not, did you add any fertiliser to that or was it just the straight number three? Um, it was pre... It's just generic, isn't it, Johnny's number three? Different companies produce the same thing. No, yeah. but is it? you didn't add any, comp, uh, any fertiliser. That's what we were asking. Extra fertiliser at that time. Not for the first time. week, no. No. Oh, no, that's fine. Not for the first week. No. No. no, there's no simple answer in all honesty no, because what we're saying is right. Is it, it, it's in theory you're describing a soil and root based problem, but not a virus. Doesn't sound like a nothing, virus. No. I wonder, Norbert, would, would it be a, at all possible for you to send a couple of photographs in so we can have a look at the, mm-hmm. the symptoms in more detail? Because I say it's, it's, there's nothing that's springing to mind as an obvious um, answer to the question, and I think that would help us a little bit more. If what? you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind doing that. Is that- all three okay there, there are four different plants the two pot the two pl- and they're different they're all different varieties they're not the yeah. same they're yeah. sharing the same problem in those two pots yeah yeah so like you say it's it's isn't again if it was a virus you'd expect maybe yeah. one variety to be expressing it and not, and the, not others. the other um so it does sound like a, what we call a cultural problem of some description but from what you're saying um you're growing your tomatoes pretty pretty textbook style so um i think i say if we have a little a picture as yeah. well then we send, might be able to work it out send it in on an email preferably to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk and we'll have a look at them for you okay and i'm going to move on to pat who has been patiently waiting hello pat sorry to keep hello. you waiting there a bit hello ken that's all right lemon trees we're talking that's right yes i've got a lemon tree which I've had for about just under a year now. And um, it's looking very healthy. I've got five or six lemons on there. It's been outside for the past month, but I brought it in during this windy weather. And um, it's in our conservatory and the windows are open, so it gets plenty of fresh air. Um, I'm just wondering whether I should repot it in the near future. It's in a pot at the moment. What's making you um, be concerned, Pat, that you think it needs repotting? Is it looking like it's congested? No, it's not. No. I I just didn't... They're another one that likes being congested rather than not congested, don't they? Yeah, and citrus aren't like... They're not... Although they grow strongly, they're not like a really, really vigorous tree that has a massive root system. You can keep them in quite a small pot. Even a mature plant can be in a relatively small container. Is it... Is it in the pot that you bought it in? Or no, give... I did repot it when it oh, came. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I think, I, think you're, I think you're okay for the moment, Pat. I think oh, I would lovely. just... Oh, lovely. Well, it's it's yeah. got uh, five or six lemons on there, which uh, Brilliant. Might, are looking good. So hopefully they'll uh, be okay. So yeah. that, I've got the, G, the G&T. You're going to say you've got the G&T ready, have you? <laughs> ready on the and side. waiting. Ready and waiting. Fantastic. And it. 
<laughs> Getting impatient. So I just feed it once a week or so with citrus food or seaweed. Yes. And, um, yes, as I say, it's looking very good. Lovely. Excellent. And just as much sunshine uh, as you can for them. They like humidity. Um, they don't like to get waterlogged or bone dry. And, you, I mean, you're doing all the right things. Uh, the fruit can take about, um, from from setting to, to ripening, can sometimes take up to a year. So yeah. you oh, just got to, and, and in our climate as well, if we don't get the sunny days, they're going to just take a little bit longer to ripen. Okay. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed for your help. Back to your gardening questions in a little while, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, Lucy has got some tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden right now. Well, right now, Ken, it's blowing a hoolie out there, isn't it? It has my been, goodness. It? So that would be my first tip, is just to let the winds die down and then go out into the garden and see if there's been any damage. And specifically, I'm thinking about things like fruit, tree limbs, bending and Especially snapping. Especially when they've got a lot of fruit. There's so much, we've had such a moist spring and a really good summer that there's a lot of fruit out there and uh, I'm going to dread going back to the hall after I've been here with you to see what the Bramley apple is looking like in the garden at East Donnellan but I imagine there's going to be lots of fruit on the floor. So if you find that you've got windfalls, um, if they're cooking apples you can probably just rustle them up into a pie. If they're things like peaches or nectarines or Victoria plums and they're not quite ripe, put them on a sunny windowsill, see if you can get them to ripen and fully before you eat them because otherwise you just have to ditch them um, and if you've got broken branches then uh, saw them off just go back to uh, a side branch or to the main stem so you're not leaving a jagged ugly wound and get those branches taken off you could put your plums with a ripe banana as well couldn't you you could that do that works. yeah you could do that as well yeah but like i say it's a shame to waste them isn't it and oh, uh, yes. there's so so much fruit so please you know if you can ripen them up do do that and if not freeze it all yeah exactly <laughs> cook it and freeze it <laughs> oh. what else you got for us then lucy well um where i work at east Donnellan, we've got some lovely herbaceous borders and the borders um this spring i stocked them up with some new penstemons and it reminded me that uh, the other day that now is the time to be taking penstemon cuttings july going into august is the perfect time to take a non-flowering side shoot about two or three inches long remove the lower leaves and put three or four around the edge of a five inch pot with some good free draining gritty comp- compost in there they don't need a lot of heat um so you can just put them in a cold frame or in a propagator in a uh, in an out of direct sunlight just make sure they're kept moist you could put a polythene bag over the top if you like mm. um, and they root incredibly easily and then those cuttings will um, overwinter really readily in a greenhouse or cold frame ready to go into the border in the spring they are more pen stemmons for nothing thanks very much there lucy the gardening hour podcast on bbc essex with ken crowther Hello, Jim. Hello there. Where are you then at the moment? I'm, I'm sitting in the car park outside Tesco's at the moment. Right, OK, right. Jim from Tesco's then. Uh, what, what do you got for us? I've got a nice danger in a pretty large pot. It's in a... It's about a 15-inch pot, and I think it's getting a bit big, and I want to put it in the ground. Right, are you going to ask us when? Yes, all that and what I should do to prepare right. the ground. Would you do it now? Oh, mm. but if it's in a container, right, you, you could, can do. Yeah, as, as long as, as you... you're going to look after it once it's in the ground. Yeah. So how, how do we oh, go yeah. about it? Where, what position would you choose? Uh, Ideally, well, uh, Lucy. is it what we call the, the sort of the, the classic hydrangea, Jim? Like what we call a mop head? You know, you, 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 the, the the really widely planted hydrangea that it's got that lovely domed head. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, it's a really large white one. Lovely, gorgeous, right? So they'd be happy in sun or shade, um, but not yeah. deep, but not deep shade. And um, so, um, and how big did you say the container is? About two foot across. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a little bit smaller there. Yeah. Right, OK. Um, what kind of soil have you got in the garden? Is it is it a light sandy soil or is it a heavy clay or what do we have? It's, 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 it's clay, deep down. Clay, OK, right. So I would get myself a, a, a decent-sized bag of multi-purpose compost and uh, wherever you decide to site your hydrangea, dig the planting <laughs> hole out and improve that soil if it's clay. You want to make sure that the hydrangea doesn't get waterlogged in the winter which clay soils can sometimes do so by adding some right. some compost into that that will just help to open well, up the soil like 
Um, I would go for just a, like a, a multi-purpose or something like that because the, the John in this is going to be... Um, Soil-based again, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. So you're, what you're trying to do with that clay soil is actually lighten it up and make it more open and free-draining. Right. So compost will do that for you. But don't just, dump, but, but don't just dump the compost into the hole. Mm. Chop it into the soil that you're digging out. Yeah. You see what Lucy's saying? You've got to mix it yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can understand that, yeah. Yeah, and then... Like, water regularly. Yes, yeah, get the... Before you plant the hydrangea, give it a good soak. Give the water, the, the planting hole a really good soak as well so there's lots of moisture sitting sitting there ready for the plant to go into. And yeah. once, you, once you knock the hydrangea out of its pot, try to tease any congested roots out because often um, pot-grown plants can have a really tight root ball and if the roots yeah. are sort of all tightly knitted together, they sometimes then don't grow out of that uh, that tightness and they they sort of like um, they don't root out into the earth so un- loosen up some of the roots if you can and then pop it in the soil make sure the depth is the same as it was in the container uh, give it a good water and make sure any time if we have really hot dry weather this summer make sure that plant is get really well watered okay Jim when should I plant this right now you can do it now this afternoon oh that's fine <laughs> okay why don't you finish your shop at Tesco Finish your shopping and then you can go and plant it. I can go up now because the come back. Okay, onward. Thank you very much. That's Jim up there in Springfield. And we now go to Colin in Harwich. Hello, Colin. You back from Russia? Yes, I can. Very good morning to you. Yes, I am back from Russia. And uh, What you got I've... for us this week then? Well, what it is. You, you remember you told me to cut down the vines because of yes, because you were said you said we talked about the scab, didn't we? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talked about the blights, and I cut them down. Oh, sorry, blight. I meant blight. Sorry. Blight. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, now that I've dug up some potatoes, yeah, um, I've noticed they've got a lot of scab on them. So I'm wondering, is there a way to prevent that? Is there something in the soil scab like that improve? You can get. Um, some varieties that express more resistance to scab. But there's Colin. nothing you can add, is nothing there? You, no, I think the pH uh, of the soil is important as well. I think that if you have a... I'm trying to remember which way around it is now, but it's either a very acid or alkaline, so chalky soil can encourage scab. So I think it's acid, then it must be, mustn't it? I think it's... Um, Acidic. I'm sure when I when I had an allotment in Guildford, which was a, on a chalky soil, I used to get scab mm. quite a lot. So I think if you can it's acidify yeah. the, the the soil, Colin, by so so making it slightly acid with oh. sulphur chips or something like that, that might help as well. But the more important thing, honestly, is look for varieties yes, that are, exactly. are are preferable that don't have much scab. Yeah, this is international kidney. These ones. Oh, they, and, ta- uh, I'm, I'm they growing, taste. I'm, nice. I'm growing those this year. I've just had oh, some last night, actually. Did yours yeah. have yeah, scab then, Lucy? They didn't. Not where I am. Well, they are. And you that's see. probably because I'm on acid soil. Yeah. Where I am. You yeah. See? It all, uh-huh. make, all makes sense, yeah. Ken. <laughs> yeah. How about that, one Colin? Question. One, one other question, Ken. Uh, to my surprise, in in the back of the greenhouse, I've actually got a melon. <laughs> <laughs> really? What one are you growing? Which one are you going? Oh, it's, it's, it's a cantaloupe type. I can't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, no, it's F one cantaloupe. That's brilliant. It's massive. it's massive. But how do I know when it's ripe? Uh, it's nose, isn't it? Yes, you have to go down and smell them. Well, they'll, right. they'll, you can smell it. But you should be able to smell it as you walk in. But yeah. if you can't, you, but just to check on it, you go close to it and just smell yeah. by the where, where it comes out of the stem. That's where right. the smell is. Yeah. That's where it's, it right. comes out from. I've got one in the hall where I, where I work in the greenhouse there that's almost ripe. And I walked into the greenhouse yesterday and I could smell it. it but then uh-huh. the smell from the fruit itself wasn't strong enough for me to think, yes, it's ready. Because then also you have to look for things like the, you get little cracks appearing around the stalk end and, you, and the, the flesh does become a little bit softer but yeah that uh-huh. perfume is but don't let oh, it don't delicious. let it go over there no, right. no 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 oh that's lovely well we sh- i shall certainly enjoy that it's pity it's not a couple because you could have sent us one then couldn't you <laughs> <laughs> anyway good to hear from you colin glad you had a good trip back from russia he goes back with the force of russia this man so i i knew he'd been away because he asked about his potatoes before oh. he went chris from braintree we're talking bonsais aren't we chris uh, yeah, well, hopefully, um, as something that I've always wanted to do, have a go at, um, so I think they're charming things, but to buy them, they're rather expensive, and I was wondering, if having a go at cultivating one myself, and um, 
uh, what advice would you give on the, the most uh, like easy one to do? <laughs> well, I think things like pine. Uh, Chris yeah. and also Japanese maples are the the classic examples. Um, you can you can bonsai any tree, so beech or hornbeam or um, all of them can be bonsai. But you could, um, as I say, go for the classic, which is the maple or a, a pine. And what often um, bonsai nurseries will do when we go to these shows, we see the bonsai nurseries exhibiting there these lovely, lovely plants that are centuries old. But often they still sell seedlings as well for you to start from scratch. And then you you essentially put them in, obviously, into the, the small, shallow container. And then you, you need to get some wires and some pruners on them to actually shape them into yeah. what you're after. And root prune. Yeah, and then the root, once, once they get going, in every February, give them a, a severe root pruning. That's what keeps them dwarf and, and repot right. them. Um, it might be worth um, either getting a good book if you're old school on, on bonsai or, or seeing if there's a YouTube channel on, on a bonsai expert because it's a real craft. But as I say, the, yeah. the, the essential thing is to, to get your seedling, get it in the right, the, the sort of shallow, small pot, and then you get w- wires or what is needed to actually shape them. You bend them round the branches and then right. bend the tree into the shape that you're after. You do quite a lot of pruning as well to get them looking what you um, distressed? They want to look almost like they're on a windswept mountainside, mm. don't they? That's that's the, that's yeah, the look you go for. I mean, if you ever go to yeah. say, the, um, I know we shouldn't pluck things from the wild, but if you ever go to places like the Lake District or Scotland or Wales, even, and as you come to an area where there are pine trees, you can sometimes find seedlings that are actually growing in the rocks. Now, if you find a seedling that's growing in the rocks, its root has already struggled to grow. And therefore, it uh-huh. can be an ideal plant. But as, as Lucy says, uh, bonsai, dis- people at garden shows yeah. actually do sell seedlings that they've they do. grown on. And they're, they? very, they're very they're good quite value. inexpensive. And you can then just choose one. You think, that's a nice shape. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bonsai that one. And then you've got a, a plant there that you can keep for centuries. Does that help you? Well, that certainly does, yes. That's given me a and couple Chris, of good ideas. Lo- there are lots of bonsai clubs around. There are bonsai clubs and societies. It could be worth you actually looking them up and going along to a meeting because they're very helpful. They're always keen to let yeah. other people know of the skill. Yeah, I think it's, 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 I've, oh. I've gone on um, a demonstration for root pruning when I was at the RHS. We used to be able to go on these demos and lectures to see someone prune a root prune a bonsai. I had no idea you could be so harsh to a tree and it would survive. So when you see someone actually doing that as a demonstration, it gives you the confidence then to think, right, OK. That's what I need to do. Chris, just stay there because I've got Ron from Mark's Tay on the line. Ron, do you do bonsai? Yes. Um, We've met many times, um, you and I. Good. Regarding bonsai, um, I have, as you know, I run the Cultures of Bonsai Society and our next meeting is um, uh, 2nd of September and we're doing a pine workshop. Right. So that could... The Mark's Tay... Mark's Tate Hall in London Road. The are you Mark's taking this Tate down, Chris? Is Chris, li- Chris, are you listening to this? I am indeed, yeah. <clears throat> the Mark's Tate, Mark's Tate Parish Hall, London Road, Mark's Tate, 7.30, and the next meeting is, I said, 2nd September, Pine Workshop. My phone number is 01206 now, Ron, you're a man who uses the internet as well, aren't you? No, no, I never. I haven't got that sort of equipment. Well, I tell you what, can you drop me a line because I'd like to put that on our podcast. Can you drop me a line at BBC Essex, which is easy because it's just Ken Crowther at BBC Essex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. Can you do that? And I'll yeah, then sure. see that that event is on our podcast as well. Right. Okay. We, we meet once a month, first Monday in the month. Uh, for 10 months of the year, that is from February to November. Uh, and uh, if he rings me up, I can talk to him about it, OK? Ron, you're absolutely fantastic, and thank you very much for your help there. OK, thanks very much. See you later. Pleasure. Bye. That's Ron from Mark's Day. They are Chris. There's your answer then. Uh, yeah, that's, that's fabulous. And it's very nice of the gentleman to call in and, and give me that information. It so, is, and of course, all you've got to do is drive down the one to whatever it is, the one, the one, the row from Braintree, is it the 120? I always get that wrong. Whether it, is it? Yeah. Wonderful <laughs> road. Wonderful road. <laughs> Enjoy the trip. No, but that would be will. worth going to, Ron. And let us know how you get on, can you? I will do indeed, yep. 
Thank you very much, Chris. That's Chris from Braintree talking bonsais. Uh, there are some good information there about bonsai trees. Um, let's go to Julie. Julie in West Mersey. Hello. We're talking <laughs> rhubarb. Is that right, Julie? Yes. I, I'm not a great big gardener, but I have grown things in the past like green beans and potatoes and tomatoes. And oh, yeah. yeah. But when I first moved to Mersey three years ago... I planted a rhubarb, um, is it a tuber, they call it? Oh, I don't know. The, so the first year it didn't really come up, it sort of flopped. Last year it flopped, but this year it's come back with a vengeance, and Brilliant. I wasn't expecting it to. <laughs> but they're very slim stalks, and they're supposed to be fat. Okay, it sounds so like, Julie, it's... conditions do you... I know sunshine and shade, because the leaves are burn and all that sort of thing... Yeah, they, they, they like a really... Um, rhubarb's quite a hungry plant, so they like a nice mulch. They like a, a soil that's got lots of compost or manure or that kind of well-rotted mm. manure added to it. So it sounds like your plant struggled for the first couple of years and now the stems are a bit thin. So it just sounds like it's sort of struggling to get, in, to get going. So it's tempt- yeah. tempting to give it a really good feed and a mulch um, just you to give it some more oomph. That's what it needs. You could stack compost around yeah. it, couldn't you? Yeah. But I know sometimes, because the leaves burn in the sun, so you've got to put them in a certain place. Not necessarily, well. no. I think, I mean, oh, the, really? the rhubarb I look after is in full sun. It's, and we've got a light sandy soil. All I do every year is make sure that the soil is really well mulched with, with well-rotted manure. And every now and then I lift and divide them because we, we, um, we love rhubarb at the hall and we're always forcing it. So I lift and divide them in November. And at that point, I then add lots of, again, lots of well-rotted compost or, or well-rotted horse manure to the, to the bed. Right, OK. And I think yeah. as long as they're kept well-watered, Julie, they, they, they shouldn't scorch in full sun. Because we have we have baking sun at the hall, and it's it they they seem quite happy. So, well, I've I've only got a tiny garden, but it's south facing, so we okay. do get the sun. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm looking forward to me with Bob Crumble. I've been waiting for three years. <laughs> You've been waiting very Lo- patiently. Haven't lots you? <laughs> lots of compost. Okay. <laughs> right, uh, what is compost? Rotted it's got compost. to be well rotted horse. If it's if you're using animal manure, it needs to be well rotted. Yes, and you can stack it up right. a, around the plant, but never on the top of it. Watch you don't put it on the top of the crown because mm. it can then rot the crown. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So just put it in the ground and just put it and then stack I might it up. Get rhubarb it. crumble next year. Then. Might yeah. <laughs> we'll live in hopes for rhubarb crumble. Yes, we'll be back to your calls, texts, and emails shortly. But let's take a final look at the top tips that Lucy's got for us this week. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, Ken, but I love fresh sweet corn from the plot you can't beat it it's so much nicer than the ones you buy from the supermarket because the secret to good sweet corn is to have it fresh so the it sugar does deteriorate levels, straight away it does it? as soon as you pick it within a few hours the sugar levels nosedive so i love growing my own sweet corn i am watching it at the moment like a hawk to work out when it's going to be ripe it's almost almost there but not quite so do you sort of open it up because i always say you open it up and push your nail into it I know, and when that, it comes out white it's ready i know but do you want to push your nail into a kernel <laughs> and then when you get to actually eat that sweet corn cob you're looking down at this big ugly nail mark in your in your sweet corn i don't do that that's what i was going to say there are key signs to look out for for your sweet corn maturing but you don't need to stick your nail in and make a mess of the cob so first of all look at the color of the tassel sticking out of the top of the cob mm-hmm. if that's still green or yellow it ain't ready yet hold fire but if it's gone brown or it's turning brown that's your key to start looking even closer at that individual cob so gently peel back the outer layers of the sheath and just look at the color of the kernels if they are still white or cream they're not ready but if they're starting to turn yellow that's your key to pick pick straighten the pot yeah Job done. done. And if they've gone too far yellow, oh, what a shame. That's why you've just got to be on it. You've got to be on it watching like a hawk. Don't waste them. Don't waste them. What else you got for us, Lucy? <laughs> um, well, another thing that brings me a lot of joy, as well as eating fruit and veg in our garden, um, 
is I like to grow cup flowers as well. And the sunflowers at the moment are flowering their socks off. We've also got um, things like zinnias, uh, larkspur, got some little uh, lupins in there, some panicum, which is a lovely frothy grass. Uh, The cup flower patch at the hall is uh, really, really productive. But to keep these plants productive, you need to keep cutting. A lot of these plants are annuals, and annuals will stop flowering as soon as they start producing seed pods. That's their trigger to think, right, actually... I'm now going to start producing seeds. So if you keep cutting the flowers, they think, right, I've got to produce some more to produce more seeds. And so you get more flowers for your, for your, for your money. Do you grow sweet peas up there for them as well? We do grow cordon sweet peas. The cordon sweet peas now have almost run out of steam because I started them in the autumn and they're great from May through till end of July. But the the plants now, I think one of my jobs next week might be to put them on the compost heap. You can do a second sowing and that's what I've done in the past um, is sow another batch in April and then they kick in when the autumn sown sweet peas fade out. So you can do that, but this year I've not been quite so organised. Let's now look at some of those events around the county and let's kick off with Teddy Bear's Picnic. Yes, 1.30 till 3.30. That's at the Fingering Ho Wick Nature Reserve Centre and that's South Green Road. I'll give you a code for that, CO57DN. 17th of August, we've got the Mersey Island Horticultural Society, their 100th summer show. It's at Micah, 38A, High Street, West Mersey, CO58. QA. Also on the 17th of August, we've got the Ardley Horticultural Show, 2 till 4.15. That's at the Ardley Village Hall, Ardley, CO7, 7RS. And let's now go to some of the other events around the county. The Fearing Flower Club, they're having a beginner's workshop. And that's in the small hall at the Kelverdon Institute on the 17th. Uh, also on the 17th, the uh, the Fearing... Oh, I did Fearing Flower Cup, didn't I? Yes, but they're having um, also on the 17th at 7.30, uh, Anne Bell from Little Canfield, it, it, from me to you, is giving a flower demonstration. That's at the community centre. So there are, there's some of those on. Let's look at some of the NGS events. Now let's, uh, I have to shuffle my papers a bit here because uh, looking at, uh, first of all, on Friday the 16th, we have 8 Dean Court, Chignall Road, Chelmsford, and that is admission, £3.50, two till five, beautifully maintained, designed, compact garden. Owner is well known for her RHS gold medal winning exhibitor, now retired, it says, circular lawn, long pergola, walls festooned with roses and clematis. Another one for Friday the 16th of August is Dragons at Boyton Cross, Chelmsford. That's admission £4, two till five again, homemade teas, a plant swarm with a three-quarter acre garden planted to encourage wildlife. Sumptuous colour-themed borders, well worth going to see. So they are. there's a few of the events around the county, and if you'd like your event mentioned just as we have now, you send them along to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk and we'll put them on the system two weeks in advance. And don't forget, it's Teddy Bear's Picnic. I like that one. 16th of August, one thirty till thirty uh, till 3.30, Fingering Ho Wick Nature Reserve Centre. So go along there with the kids. That'll be a bit of fun. And also down at Hyde Hall, don't forget, go and see the uh, the Hungry Dragon, yes? Go and see that. That's down in the vegetable patch. There's plenty of things going on that you can take your children to. And don't forget also, tomorrow, if you're listening literally when the when this goes up, Meadowcroft have got their food and drink festival, and that's this weekend. That's this Saturday and Sunday. If you want to send it in by post, just send it to Ken Crowther, P.O. Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2 9XP. Wilma, how can we help you with your clematis? Oh, good morning. Um, my clematis is called freckles. Oh, lovely. Um, a winter flowering one, mm. but I do get a summer, um, another flowering in June, which I've just had. Um, I usually cut it back with my shears um, after it's flowered, but this year um, I have yellowing leaves, and I'm wondering whether to give it a perhaps a seaweed feed 
and should I do this before I um, shear it back or after? Um, so is it in the ground, Wilma, or is it in, yes. the, in the pot? It's in the ground. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And how how many years old now do you think that clematis is? Five or six years now. Five or six. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Were you thinking of giving it a foliar feed that you asked that question, or in I the ground? I usually just give it a tomato right. But um, I'm, I'm looking and thinking, is, is, are the yellow leaves a chlorosis or... It might, be a nut- it might be a nutrient deficiency. Yeah, it's, a lo- it's a lovely clematis, the freckles, but it's quite yeah. a weak grower and the leaves yeah. are quite dainty and delicate and almost they sort are. of fern-like, aren't they? So it's not yes. a really strong one like some of the sort of summer flowers. So what would you do? Feed, I'd give it a blooming good feed before I yeah. tree cut it, would you? Definitely, definitely. And then as soon as it starts showing signs of growth, mm. then prune it. Yeah. Okay. Yes, because if I, you're too I'll... late, you're not going to get the new growth ready for the flower in the winter. That's what I was going to say, is that if you prune it too late in the season, then it's you're going to cut, off, now, cut off the flower buds for next year. So, only well, you've been doing it and it's been flowering, so just like you say, give it a light trim, Wilma. Um, yes. But I think focus on giving it a good good feed, feed as well. First. Yes. And, and would that be better to use a seaweed if it's, if it's a straight seaweed feed, it doesn't contain a huge amount of the nitrogen that you'd need to get the leaves to colour up. So you, you uh. can buy you can buy a seaweed feed that's also got nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium added to it, or okay. you could just use something like a liquid grow more, which I I use regularly if I need to give plants a bit of a pep, because that's got um, a good amount of the nitrogen in there, and then you can top it up with a seaweed feed if you want to. Okay, yes, right. that'll do that. And can I just ask a very quick question um, about um, Cicerincums? I, I wonder about this every year. Mm. I have a nice bunch, uh, batch of Cicerincum, and yeah. I never know whether to cut them back um, as the seeds' uh, stems turn black or leave them to get a better plant. Uh, do you know what, Cicerincum, I, if you want it to self-seed, mm-hmm. leave the, the seed pods on, Okay. If you don't, because they can be a little bit invasive in the right conditions yes. in the gravel garden, for example. So if you don't want it to spread and self-seed, then just cut those off and then you'll get a better clump itself because it's not taking energy That's to the seed pod. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Our That's pleasure. a pleasure. That's Wilma from Morton. And just going back to Mr. Nor- uh, to Norbear. Norbear has sent us in some pictures of the tomato, hasn't he? He has. Um, yeah. And do you know what? Our gut reaction for that is... is overfeeding. Is overfeeding. Because he did mention in this conversation, Norbert, that the, the tomatoes are really strong and almost triffid-like. But what you've got there is yellowing leaves and also purpling of the foliage, which is a nutrient purple. issue. And what you can do, if you overfeed plants with um, liquid potash, which is the standard tomato fertiliser, you can then get things like magnesium deficiency occurring. So if you're overfeeding, it can actually be as harmful as underfeeding. underfeeding. So I think just double-check that you're giving them the right dilution rate of the fertiliser that or you're doing every 10 days. Cut, cut it back. And make sure, because the plants are in pots, make sure they do not dry out. Because if you're adding feed to plants that are dry in their pot it can cause the roots to scorch. If they're well watered, then the, the feed will be spread around the plant. But if it's, um, say, if the, if the roots are dry, then adding water, feed to that can scorch the roots. So just keep them really well watered. Uh, let's go now to Maureen in Stamford. I hope Alstroemeria, is that right, Maureen? Yes, yes, that's correct. Um, I, my question is, uh, I bought an Alstroemeria this year, a short one, um, can I keep it in the pot all the time? Yes. Yeah, yeah you can. There's yeah. quite a lot of these little dwarf Alstroemerias now, aren't they're they? Quite they're quite very attractive. Yeah, pretty things. And, um, yeah, because the ones that we grow, all the massive big things, are about a metre tall. So the compact ones are great for people to grow them in pots if they've got a smaller plot. Um, yeah, you absolutely can do, Maureen. There's no problem at all. Will I have to make a bigger pot later on? They have got quite a sort of fleshy root system, haven't they, Alstroemerias? Mm. So repotting it in the autumn or the spring, if you feel it's congested, would be a good idea, but only if it's congested. So you could knock it out of the pot in the autumn, have a look at the root system. If you think it's looking fine, no need to worry, but if it's looking tight in that pot, then, yeah, that might be worth then moving up a pot size. And you could use a John Innes number two with a bit of multi-purpose compost added to that for the, for the, um, for the potting mix. All right. All right. Okay. And do I have to thin them out? Like I've seen people t- say that they pull them out when they're tall, those, the tall Alstroemerias. 
do you do that with the short ones as well? What do you mean, actually pulling off the, the individual flower spikes once they've yeah. gone over? Um, once the flower spikes have faded... Get rid of them. Yes, yeah. You, mm. The easiest thing is, like, and as you say, you can just pull them up. They often snap off at the base and that's, and that's it. Job done. All right. Oh, right. Maureen, <laughs> sounds like you're sorted with your Alstrom areas. Thank you very much. OK. That's Bye-bye. a pleasure. That's Maureen from Stanford La Hope. I just wanted to mention Ray Pitt has texted us and just said, have we, have we received his pictures? Yeah, I'm, I thought I'd done this last week, but I think I ran out of time. Um, the plant you've got is a formium. It has gone to see... Ooh, it's, well, yeah. it's got, it's got big flower... Big flower spike. Big flower spike. Up to the top of the window, that yeah. one. And you've got a nice set of bindweed growing up it as well, <laughs> which I'd pull out and try and get rid of. But, yes, you've got a formium, Ray, and thank you very much for your pictures. The bindweed's taken a bit of a hold there. You want to definitely get rid of that. That's the, If not, it will ruin your plant. They used to use those as um, arrowheads, didn't they, the seeds? Do you formiums. know I didn't know that? There you go. Yeah. yeah. So full of useless information. <laughs> um, let's now go back to the phones and talk to Jean. And Jean's in Grinstead Green. Hello, Jean. Hello, Ken. I've got two Wagelia shrubs in my garden which have grown rather tall. And I want to know can I just cut them down? Yeah, Wagelia's really, you prune every year, don't you, Lucy? Yeah. You should do, after flowering. Yes, it's straight after flowering, Jean, because the Wagelia will flower on the previous season's growth. They flower quite early in the season. So um, what you want want to be doing is pruning it... Would you say now it's too late, Ken? I'd still... Prune, Would you risk it? Prune through half of it, 50% of it. Yes, yeah. Not half, not 50% by one half of it, but 50% of the whole plant, I would cut back quite severely. Yeah, so 50% of the number of stems, cut those back quite harsh, and the other ones leave unpruned, so, so oh, that you're not going to lose the flowers. That's what we're concerned about, Jean. You might lose the flowers for mm. the spring if you cut the whole lot back hard now. Yeah, and yet seems to have grown real, real crazy this last few months. Yeah, this year has been a, a big spurt in growth, particularly. Yeah, we've had, a, we've had some rain this year, which yeah. has been quite good, but it's meant things have romped away. In All right, future, then I'll have a go. Then in future, the yeah, and in future, Jean, what you need to do is see that after flowering, you cut it hard back, and you can be quite ruthless with them. You mm-hmm. can really cut them hard down to a couple of feet from the ground, and they'll still come up. Oh, I might try that then. Okay, then. Thank you very much. Okay, that's uh, Jean in Greensteed Green. And we go to Graham. Graham's in Braintree. We've got a line for you if you want to squeeze a call in. 0800 111 Hello there, Graham. Hello there. Uh, So you can all have a laugh. I uh, had self-sown marigolds this year from the other plants I had last year. And I put... I... I put them all around the garden and in the front in containers when they were about inch and a half high. And one in the container in the front garden turned into a tomato. <laughs> now, half a dozen in the back garden turned into tomato plants as well. <laughs> and Oops. horrendous <laughs> they are. So, yes. so are you growing tomatoes this year instead of marigolds? Yes, I am in the flower borders. Well, that doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with mixing vegetables and fruits. Oh, and that'll confuse the white fly, Graham, won't it? So <laughs> that's one good thing. I haven't watered them because <laughs> I don't water them, I don't. And uh, the marigolds, I don't water the plants, I don't, because that's yeah. a very hot place, but I don't do a lot of good if I water because the water doesn't go down enough. So, But uh, the tomatoes, you know, they've got... They're looking good, are they? Fruit on them, they are, and they're up about uh, three foot high. So, do you think you've learned? Overtaken the ones I put in containers that I grow normally. So, do you think, Graham, that you've now learned how to tell your marigolds and your tomato seedlings apart? Yeah, but I couldn't when they were very small, about inch and a half high. I couldn't tell the difference. I couldn't. (laughs) And I run a beans. I'm having a good crop this year again. But what I do with my Mary, uh, with the runner beans, I put uh, pots, flower pots down beside them and I just water in the pots rather than all across the ground so the water goes straight down to the roots. And I've had a good lot of runner beans this year again. I have. 
Oh, you've been doing well there. It's really good to hear, Graham. Thank you very much for your update and your tomato report. And uh, let us know what the huge crop of tomatoes you get. Now, we've had a text in from Dawn in Amersham. She wants to know, can I grow King Edward's potatoes in a pot? My favourite potato. You can grow anything in a container, can't you? Yeah, you can. You can. Some some um, potatoes do seem to perform better than others in containers, but there's no reason why you can't grow King Edward's in a pot. So I have a, um, a pot that's about a foot across, maybe put in there two or one or two tubes or something like that mm. yeah yeah now talking of potatoes it's a good time you actually can plant potatoes especially prepared now to actually harvest at christmas can't you yes you can oh you've mentioned the c word ken <laughs> i can't get my head around it yet <laughs> it's far too early to think about christmas but, it, but you have to but think yeah. about potatoes I for christmas you, you see i know yes yeah. you do don't I'm, you? A, I'm a roasties girl oh, i don't like new potatoes from the christmas oh, okay <laughs> right eileen sent us in a lot of pictures and we saw uh, about her apple trees and her apples and she's very concerned because she's she's not doing very well at all but actually her biggest problem is brown rot isn't it we looked at those yes. samples yes we did yes yeah and we did have a conversation about brown rot earlier in the show when the plum really, from one of your other callers was, was being affected by it and it's just the it's cleanliness is the biggest pro- isn't thing isn't yeah, it keep, yeah. keep the leaves and the fruit collect them up and keep them well away from absolutely everything and give them to the local authority rather than keep them in the garden. Is that right? Yeah, and try and prevent it by um, thinning out the fruit so they're not touching each other. And if the skins get damaged by wasps or birds, that's, the, that's where the rot can enter. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. And don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, give us a call on 0800 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, that's every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11.